How's everybody doing? My name is Sina Palavon, and welcome to the Talk Too Much podcast, where I help you go non-fungible. This week is a very special week. I say this every single week, but this week I did an interview on Bancor. Bancor is the first, the best, one of the best, that's an opinionated statement, but definitely the first and one of the most underappreciated automated market maker protocols in the crypto industry. Why am I uh, saying this? Well, it's very simple. When you try to multiply your crypto assets, right? When you try to generate yield, when you try to, I guess, make use of what DeFi offers, right? You usually uh, deposit multiple assets into a pool and you hope to generate yield off both of their those assets. Um, you do so to create a balance in the pool, right? Well, the way Bancor works is they offer their user base single-sided liquidity provision. What this means is you can now deposit one asset into a liquidity pool so stake one asset, and if you hold it for a certain amount of time, which it tells you, you are protected from impermanent loss. Yes, Bancor protects you, the investor, from impermanent loss. Why? Oh, and let me make one more thing clear. They don't sacrifice the high yields that you see across the DeFi industry. They still offer you fat yields while giving you a safety measure. That's something that not many DeFi protocols are even thinking of or considering. Bancor, as I said, is the first automated market maker protocol. They were here before everyone else. Number two, most underappreciated, as I just said, if this is what they offer you, it doesn't make sense for us to run the risk <clears throat> and yield farm uh, in, in across the DeFi industry. For me, I know I got my, we talked about this during the industry. We, I got my parents to use Bancor. So, and why did I do that? Because I'm, I'm very confident that, you know, when I depo when they stake their assets, my assets will be safe. I won't uh, come to withdraw my assets and see, hey, I have less than what I deposited. You know, that's not going to happen. And for me, that was big. Uh, handling my parents' money and trying to grow their portfolio is a challenge. So I wanted to really uh, operate in a safe way, and Bancor gave me just that. There's a lot of people that are thinking, man, what is DeFi? Should I get into DeFi? Bancor is your onboarding ramp. Bancor is the simplest, safest, best way to start learning how DeFi works, to start learning, to start providing liquidity, to start getting your hands dirty in the trenches. And this is important because as this industry expands and 10 years from now, the people that are comfortable with DeFi, any DeFi scenario, any DeFi process, I'm sure will pay dividends in their careers, their investment strategies, their investment techniques, whatever you want to name it. This will pay dividends for them years years from now. Um, and I think that's where right now everybody refers to this as DeFi, DeFi, DeFi. DeFi is going to be everything. It's going to be the foundational layer of finance soon, in my opinion. It's literally finance for the people. And Bancor takes it a step further. You know, I think that a lot of government criticisms, a lot of people who are against crypto, they say, oh, well, <clears throat> it's not safe. You know, these people are chasing, there was an article that said, hey, these crypto farmers, they're chasing high yields, but they, there's, they run the risk of losing everything they have. And that's so true, but that doesn't mean it's fair to discount the, the positives that DeFi offers you. And Bancor fights that argument. Bancor says, well, hey, we are going to give you the benefits DeFi, any DeFi protocol will give you, but we're going to be safe. We're not going to, we're not, we're going to make sure that our investors don't feel uh, concerned when they invest their money. We're going to make sure they feel comfortable investing money in our liquidity pools and earning high yields. 
Mr. Nate and Mr. Mark gave excellent viewpoints. I think they did an in-depth tutorial explanation on the protocol. We even pulled up the screen so you guys can see how the website is split apart. So when you do go and start staking your, your crypto assets, you have a general idea of how this works. I will include all the links to Bancor in the video description, okay? Please subscribe if you haven't already. It, was, it would help me a lot, you know? I enjoy the support. Also, my weekly newsletter comes out every single Monday. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. I teach you my tips and tricks, every, a couple little things I learned in the NFT industry, you know, here and there. Without further much ado, let's get into the show. Very nice to meet you. So how are you doing? Very well. Thank you guys for, for joining me. I know this was, uh, wasn't the easiest thing to get organized, um, but I will say I'm very excited to do this interview because for me personally, as we're going to get this started, for me, I think that DeFi is one of the most beautiful things this world has to offer, and it's an undiscovered novelty to many people on this planet. But I do think that the onboarding is could be a little bit difficult. The learning process could be a little bit more confusing for others, even though the benefits are you know, not even comparable to using centralized exchanges or centralized protocols. So what got me excited was my parents, as I, I told both of you guys. Um, I really was like determined to get them into DeFi somehow because they. I, I know that no one's parents are are in it, and that's like the hardest thing to do. So I wanted to do it with mine. And Bancor was very, very surprisingly they got it and they still use it. So we use like we run it in cycles now, um, and that's really what I want to start it. I wanted to do this interview with uh, you guys for is this to me was such a, a easy experience to onboard my parents onto this, and I really think more people need to learn about Bancor. So I'm going to give the floor to both of you guys. Uh, can you guys both please introduce yourselves uh, and what is Bancor and how did you both get affiliated with Bancor? We could start with you, Mr. Nate. Uh, yeah, sure. That's uh, that's really cool to hear your parents. Uh, I got my parents using Bancor too. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. I got my whole family on it. Everyone's uh, staking, so uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, so I got into Bancor uh, kind of by accident. I was super into studying Ethereum, getting really into crypto at around uh, 2017 and met one of the uh, Bancor founders uh, in late 2017, heard about their vision for automated liquidity, um, you know, really allowing smaller, uh, newer tokens to get instant liquidity um, using just smart contracts as opposed to having a sort of centralized uh, order book managing uh, exchange and uh, really became obsessed with this uh, innovation that, that Bancor came up with, which is called the automated market maker or liquidity pools. And uh, I've, I've been with the team since early 2018. Um, before Bancor, uh, I was working in a, a number of different mobile uh, technology startups, uh, some of which were acquired uh, even before that, I started my career in financial journalism, uh, covering Wall Street um, and a lot of the sort of financial laws uh, happening. Uh, this was in about 2010, uh, I think. So a uh, big mixture of um, kind of financial journalism, uh, technology, startups, and landed at Bancor and have been working on uh, growth and partnerships and marketing uh, for the past few years for, for the protocol. 
And before I go to Mr. Mark, how did you make that jump? Why did, why did you make that jump from traditional finance to crypto? Like, was it easy or? I think it's just a uh, crypto blended a lot of uh, things that I was really fascinated with. Um, I think this sort of um, philosophical and economic uh, ideas that were being thrown around and um, well, actually from the beginning of, of crypto really, uh, um, really intrigued me. Uh, I, I saw a lot of our sort of financial laws and financial systems not serving people uh, like us and uh, like, you know, many different types of people around the world. Um, so really became obsessed with, with that vision and it blended a lot of my interest in um, startups, um, access to capital, fundraising, um, flow of information, flow of value. And um, yeah, that, that was really my, uh, my interest in it. Mr. Mark, how about yourself? How did you get, uh, can you please introduce yourself and how did you also get involved with Bankworth? Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, I, I'm, I, I don't come from the financial world. Uh, I was a research scientist for 14 years. Um, before I was at Bancor, I was at the uh, Commonwealth uh, Scientific and Industrial Research Organization in Australia, which is a government corporate entity. It's the organization that invented Wi-Fi, which is pretty cool. Oh, wow. um, there I was working on, um, you know, different molecular probes and uh, nanotechnology sensing devices, that sort of thing. Uh, before that, I was a, uh, I did my first postdoctoral position uh, at UCI. I was a lecturer there for the chemistry department for two years. Um, and then before that, I was, you know, in grad school, basically. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I did a, sort of a, a very long stint in the, in the physical sciences and the, and the life sciences. Um, but during uh, my most recent uh, postdoctoral appointment, um, I was supposed to be in Germany for about a year. Uh, I had a, a research grant to go and complete a, a leg of work under uh, the supervision of Peter Seeberger at the uh, Max Planck Institute in Potsdam. Um, but just prior to um, my flight out of Australia to, to Berlin, um, Australia closed its borders uh, to international travel during the pandemic. And then Australia, well, at Melbourne, uh, went into lockdown for about nine months. Um, and so during that nine months, um, you know, it effectively wiped out uh, my entire research project. And so I had some time in my hands and uh, I got really into uh, DeFi, into cryptocurrency. This was kind of uh, around about the time of the, um, you know, leading up to and including DeFi summer. And so I was super interested in everything that was happening there. I became involved with a couple of different communities, um, but kind of settled on, on Bangkok um, just because I thought that it was the only uh, standout project to me with regards to its philosophy and, um, and ethics. And um, I started collaborating with some of the founders on um, some new financial products. One of them has already come to fruition, which we call the, the Bank of Vortex, which is sort of a, um, a flexible credit system for the community. Um, and uh, after that was, uh, was out in the wild, or you know, at least when the proposal was out in the wild, um, I received an offer uh, to start full-time work for, for Bancor. So I basically uh, flipped my career. I left physical science and I'm now a full-time researcher in DeFi. Um, so I have two questions for you. Uh, the first one I want to touch on is what philosophies about Bancor attracted you? Yeah, for sure. So I'd say that the, the status quo 
for a lot of DeFi projects is that there are token holders that are sort of the, you know, the, the overlords of their project. And the, uh, the participants in that project are usually wearing some of the risk, whereas the token holders don't really wear any risk. And then the token, the token holders have the, the goal um, to feel like they can um, extract value from the people that are using their product. And I, I don't really think that that's, that's a, a good agreement. Uh, usually on, you know, in, in Twitter posts, I've said this previously, that, um, you know, if, if you and I were going to make a deal, right, let's say that you put in the capital and take all of the risk, you might make money, you might not make money. Um, but regardless of the outcome for you, I'm going to tax you for the, the privilege of you, you know, uh, using the system. It's only a matter of time before you realize that you don't need me at all, right? The, at the end of the day, you're putting in the work and so you're going to reap the rewards and you don't actually need someone taxing you. In a way, that's the, um, the sort of attitude that steered me away from traditional finance in the first place. Whereas on Bancor, it's more of a cooperation, right? The, the Bancor token holders actually assume some of the risk um, for, uh, you know, for the, the, the TKN or the token liquidity providers on the other side. So it, it's much more of a, a mutually beneficial relationship, much less of a, a parasitic uh, relationship, which I consider to be toxic and, and uh, not really in line with the, the ethos of, of decentralized finance. And I, I really love that. Um, and I also wanted to ask you one more question. How did you find the transition from physical science? Because I've actually never heard of that, a transition from physical science into crypto. It must have been a little bit, you know, completely different than traditional finance to crypto. Maybe. I, I think it's actually surprisingly natural. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So, you know, people that spend their lives, you know, studying the physical sciences, it's usually, you know, it, it's usually... To, to invent things, right? The, every day in, in my scientific career, it was about generating new ideas and sort of determining how to bring those ideas to fruition, how to materialize something of value that, that people want to use or that solve a problem. Um, so in many ways, I think actually that the scientists of the world are, um, they don't even realize it, but their, their suitability for, for DeFi is actually already extraordinarily high. Um, I'd say that, um, you know, scientists as well are, are pretty disruptive um, by nature, right? We, we like to take, um, we like to be presented with a system that's imperfect and then figure out ways to, to break it or to, um, to improve it. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, specializing in, you know, the study of complex systems, finance is just another natural complex system. Um, and it's one that's extremely, you know, it, it is, deeply interesting and um, I enjoy working in it and I enjoy uh, being able to translate ideas into you know outcomes quickly and efficiently and I think that that's um, something that a, a lot of scientists um, if they knew how uh, how fast it is to translate research to reality um, many more of them would, would come over to DeFi. I, I really I, I do I think that's actually really cool and, and unique and I actually want to segue off of this, uh, off the fact that you just said of what you said about Bancor. Um, I want to get into this now <clears throat> about if we were talking to, let's say, a group of people that are just now learning about DeFi. What would you, Mr. Nay, I'll, I'll start with you as well first. What would you say Bancor is and why should they start using it? 
Yeah, so um, Bancor, in its simple, simplest terms, uh, is an exchange, um, but it's different than other types of exchanges because uh, in most exchanges, uh, you have these things called uh, market makers who provide liquidity to the exchange uh, and they allow for trades to happen. They essentially put up capital that is allowing for trades to be fulfilled. Uh, and that's typically been a pretty difficult thing to be a market maker. You have to have all these uh, high frequency algorithms and know how to work with something called order books. So Bancor is a, a new type of exchange um, where really anyone can, do, can lend their assets to the exchange and have those assets be used for trading. Um, the more trades that occur using their assets, the more revenue they can make or the more interest they get on those assets. And like uh, unlike a lot of uh, DeFi protocols out there that really there's some a lot of complexity, there's a lot of kind of unknown risk, we really think Bancor is the simplest and safest way to earn yield in DeFi. Um, you effectively just stake your tokens and you earn more of those tokens. So you could stake ETH or LINK or WBTC um, or you know, hundreds of different types of tokens and effectively see those tokens grow. And then whenever you want to um, pull them out and realize those gains. Now, what's happening behind the scenes is you're providing those tokens to something called an automated market maker uh, liquidity pool, right? And like I said, each, uh, you could provide it to the link liquidity pool if you are holding link and any trade that occurs on Bancor using the link token, whether that's link to ETH or link to WBTC, uh, you get a piece of, of that revenue. So a percentage of the trade. So that's really Bancor in a nutshell. Um, now it's not only a place where you can generate yield as a yield farmer or liquidity provider, it's also a place where you can trade uh, tokens. And also unlike you know, centralized exchanges, Bancor is a decentralized exchange. So there's no central party controlling any elements. So that means that the exchange is always live 24 seven, the liquidity is always available. And because we're using smart contracts and it's permissionless system, anyone can list a currency on the platform. There doesn't need to be anyone to control that process either. So if you're a brand new token or wow. a mature or a mid cap token, uh, anyone can create and list their token without permission from any actor. Um, so I would say those are really the core benefits of a uh, bank or what it is in a nutshell. Um, and Mr. Mark, I want to ask you as well, what do you, what's, what would you say Bancor is? And Mr. Nate hinted at something. He said it's the safest and securest way um, for generating yield. Why would you say that is true from, from your opinion? Yeah. So, um, 
I'll answer it in that order. Um, so to, to me or how I explain Bancor to, to others is that it is similar to these high interest um, online savings accounts that started to become popular sort of in the early 2000s. So I remember um, in Australia, ING Direct was one of the companies that was kind of the first on the scene. And the, at the time where banks were offering sort of 0.51% interest, uh, they came out with a product that offers five or 6% interest. And it was weird at the time because people were like, is this a bank? What is it? You know, it doesn't have any branches. It doesn't give me an ATM card. But if I go into my online you know, bank account, I can transfer money into this other account. And just for the fact that it's sitting there means that it's now earning more money than it was in my traditional bank account. I think a lot of the DeFi products are starting to feel a lot like that time. And there was a learning curve associated with it. Like I said, people didn't like the idea that there wasn't a branch, they couldn't get a checkbook, that sort of thing. Um, but eventually, you know, it caught on, people started to um, realize what the, the benefits are of, of just moving money from, from one place to another place. So I, that's where I see Bancor as being, right? It's, it's similar to those types of products. Convert your money into this different form and put it on the blockchain. And when it's sitting there, it can, it can make more money for you. Um, why I think Bancor is the, one of the safest out there. First, it's one of the, the more battle-tested DeFi products around. Um, it was literally the first, or you know, it was one of the first. Um, DeFi products in the space. It, it predates the, the coining of the term DeFi. Um, it was the first AMM. And, you know, our, our team is extremely back-end heavy. And, you know, we've been around the block more than once. So there's not a whole lot that happens in, um, in the DeFi space that surprises us. We can see, you know, threats a mile away. Um, and, you know, the, the, the code is, is extremely robust. Um, more than that, um, with regards to the AMM space specifically, when you are providing liquidity to some of our um, competitors' protocols, you do take on this, um, this risk that you might make less money participating in these products than if you hadn't participated, right? Than if you just held the tokens by itself um, in your wallet and then sold it later for, for a profit. Uh, Bancor eliminates that risk um, by ensuring that difference. So on the Bancor product, uh, it is impossible to make less money than, um, than just holding the tokens by themselves. Whereas with some of, uh, some of the other similar products in DeFi, um, the act of participating is akin to taking a risk. And I think that that's what Nate is, is referring to when he says that this is one of the safest uh, protocols around. We eliminate that financial risk and give you the peace of mind that if you just participate, you'll end up better off than if you didn't. And I, I'm going to stick with you, Mr. Mark, before I go back to Mr. Nate. Um, I wanted to actually get into this uh, for a little bit. So you so you both we are in agreement that Bancor is the safest way to provide liquidity and earn yield on your tokens. Can we go in the technical infrastructure? Uh, why exactly is this the case? Uh, Mr. Mark, what is, can you explain to my audience? Because when you go on Bancor, the first, you know, one of the first things you see is that they, that's super special is the single-sided pro, uh, liquidity providing aspect of it. Can you explain to my audience what exactly that is um, and what is impermanent loss? What does it protect you against? Yeah, certainly. 
Um, so impermanent loss is, is not a, an easy thing to, um, to describe, but I, I can do my best to explain it with an analogy. And um, we, we can think about it in terms of an active marketplace. So imagine that you're a potato farmer, for example, and you come to a market and you're selling potatoes for a dollar. Um, but then you don't realize it, but there's another potato farmer at the other end of the market that's selling his potatoes for $2. Someone um, might buy your potatoes from, from you for $1 and then sell it to the other farmer for $2 and make that profit, right? Assuming that the farmers are buying and selling potatoes. Um, the person that did that, right, that identified that there are potatoes selling cheap somewhere else and being bought more expensively some, uh, at another location, um, that person is called an arbitrageur. And they specialize in, um, in basically buying and selling assets very, very quickly um, and extracting, um, extracting profits when there is a disagreement on their price. The problem with that is that if you were that first potato farmer, you are essentially uh, just giving money to the person that is performing that, that arbitrage step. Because if you had taken your potatoes to that, you know, that other location, you would have been able to sell your potatoes at, at $2 rather than selling them to $1 for the person in the middle. Um, and so th this is something that occurs not just in, in DeFi and in cryptocurrency, but in, in all markets. So that there are people that um, specialize in, in performing arbitrage on um, Forex, um, you can do it on commodities, you can do it on, on, on anything. But on DeFi, because of this automated market maker model, um, it, it's very difficult to um, withdraw your liquidity when you, you anticipate that that's going to happen. Um, and in general, the people that are performing this have uh, access to technology that you might not, right? They might be Ethereum miners themselves, uh, meaning that they control parts of the blockchain. Um, they have very fast algorithms that identify when these, um, when these opportunities uh, arise and they have the funds to execute them with great precision and speed. Um, and so that kind of puts many regular users at a pretty strong disadvantage. And in, essentially, if you're, not, you know, if you're not dedicating your life to, um, to this type of, of operation, there's very little you can do to compete with the people that are dedicating their lives to it. Um, and so that loss, right, that, um, that difference where the, the, the value of the assets that you're providing liquidity with are rising, um, you're going to be selling them off essentially at a... Um, at a discount to the arbitrageurs. And so when you come back and have a look at the balance, you might be disappointed, right? That the, the, the amount that you have left is worth less than the amount that you started with. This is what we call impermanent loss. The word impermanent is in there because if the, if the prices of these two things re-equilibrate um, and return to the, the same level, then arbitrageurs will be effectively bringing back the assets that they took from you. Um, and you'll be back to where you started plus some fees um, that you earned in the process. So it's not always the case that you lose money, um, but in general, due to uh, the way that cryptocurrency goes, um, impermanent loss tends to hurt those who are extremely bullish, extremely loyal to one particular token. 
So for example, I can use an anecdote from our own community, the AXS token, which is the, the native token for the Axie Infinity project, recently went, you know, at something like 10x, or it might have gone 100x over the last year or so. Um, the people that were providing liquidity with that on Uniswap ended up selling off the overwhelming majority of the AXS tokens that they started with. Now, when they were selling them off, they were still accumulating ETH, but the total ETH that they accumulated is worth less than all of those AXS tokens that they lost, all of the AXS tokens that they sold off. Um, and th that's essentially the, the impermanent loss burn, right? When you actually withdraw that liquidity and count up your tokens, that loss is no longer impermanent, it's permanent. And if you had just held the tokens without providing liquidity with them, you would have more money. And in the case of AXS, a lot more money um, had you not provided liquidity in the first place. So for Bancor, we realized that this is a, um, an unacceptable hurdle to encouraging people to provide liquidity. And so Bancor's model is that if you have a look at how impermanent loss behaves over a very large number of assets, not just a single token like AXS, but over all of the tokens in a network, then it tends to hover around sort of a break-even point. Now, you can't ask normal people to buy, you know, every single token that's available in cryptocurrency and provide liquidity with them all at once, because that's not how people operate, right? They, they tend to want to hold a single token. They tend to be interested in, in just one project. And so for Bancor, we've become sort of like the state farm of, of AMMs. We say that if you provide liquidity on our protocol, whatever that difference is, whatever the AXS tokens would have been worth that you, that you lost, that you ended up selling off, we're going to give those tokens, uh, we're going to give you that value back in the BNT token. And we can afford to do this because not all of the uh, risk is concentrated, right? Because we're offering the same deal across all of the pools on the protocol, um, the, uh, the amount of BNT that we really have to, uh, that we have to wear in, in inflation risk is actually relatively low compared to the, the total amount of BNT that there is. So the, the system has actually proved to be quite robust. We have um, you know, been insuring a permanent loss now for, for nine months. And um, not only has it, uh, you know, has it not destroyed the, um, you know, the, the BNT supply or the, the token of, of, of what we do, um, but in a way, it's actually, it's enhanced it, right? It's brought a lot of people into the protocol. It's making BNT more, more desirable to have because it's more important to people. And um, it also means that unlike a lot of other AMM tokens, it has intrinsic use, right? It, it is required to, um, uh, to, to make the protocol work the way that it does. Um, and so with all of that said, um, remember what I said about token holders really being loyal generally to, to one project or just a small collection of projects. Um, if you're providing liquidity on other AMMs, you might have to sell off some of your tokens to buy some other token to provide liquidity with both simultaneously. So the, the, uh, the crowd favorite, right? The, the, the one that, we, that everyone is probably familiar with is Uniswap. Um, and it uses usually ETH as the, the base asset. But on version two, you can provide liquidity with, with any two assets. So it might be USDC or USDT or something like that. Um, and I, we at Bancor also think that this is an unreasonable thing to ask liquidity providers to do. 
if you want to hold just AXS, you should be allowed to just hold AXS and provide liquidity with it. And so the Bancor protocol lets you just add that one side of the pool and the protocol will automatically fund the other side with its own BNT investment. Um, and the reason why this makes financial sense is because you earn fees um, with the, you know, the token that you provided, but the protocol earns fees with the BNT that it provided. And so you enter into something of a business agreement with the Bancor protocol where you both make money together and the protocol ensures your risk, right? So it's like the, the best type of, of business partner you could hope for, mm-hmm. which is one that, um, that offers you a, a fair deal where you, you know, it, it, we both earn 50% of the money, except if you make a large loss, your business associate, the Bancor protocol is going to refund that loss for you. And so I think that this is the, um, you know, this is the value proposition that we're, that we're building. And I still think that it is largely um, underappreciated. I think that when the, the DeFi world starts to warm up to what Bancor is, is doing for the DeFi community, um, I really think that the, we're, we're going to see a, a traction on a scale that, that we haven't really seen yet. Um, and so now uh, I, there's a lot to touch on there. I really want to hand the floor over to Mr. Uh, Nate on what Mr. Mark just said, uh, since you are the, the growth lead. I also was thinking this too, as, as I've been using Banco, I'm thinking to myself, why are people using, you know, and I like, I love SushiSwap, but why are people using SushiSwap, Uniswap, Aave? Like, is, am I, what is the, what is the deal here? And I'm starting to realize how underappreciated the, the Bancor protocol is. Um, so I wanted to ask both of you, um, or Mr. Nate, first of all, what, why is Bancor largely underappreciated? And after this, I do want to, um, I have my screen, I pulled Bancor up. I would like to describe certain parts of, of the Bancor page when, where people are allowed to stake. But before we get there, why is Bancor still largely underappreciated in your opinion? Uh, well, Mark touched on um, two of the, the the main features of Bancor, and that's single token exposure. You maintain exposure to just one token when you're providing liquidity, so you can stay long on your tokens. And the second is impermanent loss protection. Any impermanent loss that you suffer uh, is covered. So your fees and your liquidity mining rewards are, are pure profit. Impermanent loss is not an easy thing to see or track. Um, you know, especially given the volatility of crypto, when the asset prices, you know, when you're providing liquidity to two pools, I mean, I'm sorry, to an individual pool and you're exposed to two assets and those assets are shifting in value a lot, going up a lot in value or going down a lot in value. You know, if you think about if your tokens had mooned and you look at your liquidity stake, you kind of compare it to when you contributed liquidity originally, if the prices have both gone up of both assets, you might think that you're actually making money. Now it's, it's not that easy to, uh, to simulate uh, what it would be like if you held both assets in a 50-50 ratio, as the pool is, is typically doing, mm-hmm. and just held them in your wallet as opposed to the pool. So there isn't really, it's, it's not very easy to see impermanent loss. And I think that's, that's why uh, a lot of LPs don't appreciate 
uh, how much it can really uh, harm the value of your assets. Meanwhile, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of uh, these competing AMMs have that much incentive if they're not protecting users from impermanent loss to actually expose how much impermanent loss is, is really being suffered. So, uh, you know, to the contrary, I think you're seeing a lot of these uh, AMMs show uh, APR or annual percentage return that's, you know, very misleading because you'll see it at say 50%, 100%, 150%, even like thousands of percent. And people will get lured into these pools. Yeah. And then when they pull out their assets, they'll be like, well, what happened? Why am I holding less? I thought I was going to earn a ton of money. Um, and so those APRs are not accounting for impermanent loss. And the calculations that are required are not entirely trivial to, to perform. And the incentive is not necessarily there for these protocols to expose this risk. So a lot of the work that, that Mark and I and the Bancorp community do is to help people understand that there are serious risks of AMM pools. Uh, a lot of the APRs you see out in the wild are misleading. Unless you are fully insured or protected against IL like you are in Bancorp, then those APRs are, are, not, really, are not really accurate. Um, but, you know, these things take time to settle in with the community. Uh, based on where we were a year ago to where we were now, I, I'm, I'm, you know, increasingly excited about folks waking up to the, you know, real mechanics of AMM pools and, and impermanent loss. And uh, you know, it just takes education and for the word to spread. And I think when people start using our platform, they tend to, you know see the truth, if you will. And I, I, I fully agree with that just because for, from my perspective, it doesn't make sense. As I, we said at the beginning of this, you know, if my uh, conversation, if my parents are able to use it, it doesn't even make sense for me to, and that's what I'm scared of is running the risk of, of them going through an experience like that and then being turned off by DeFi. And that's why I'm very happy with Bancor. I actually want to start uh, to just to show my audience looking at the main screen. So if we could start off by just talking about, I want them to just understand what each of these rows really represent. And it's on the complete right side, it says an APR of 0.97%. Mr. Nate, can you please explain sure. what that APR means as well as what the rewards uh, means? Because it gives two different percentages for liquidity providers to look at on the rewards row. Sure. So what do those mean yeah. exactly? So the APR is specifically the return you would get uh, from trading fees. So if let's say go down to engine BNT, uh, you could provide just engine to that pool. And based off the last 24 hours of activity, if you annualize that over a year, that's what APR is, the, that 8.16% are the trading fees that you would earn in engine. Now the rewards column with that little ticker the red ticker, uh, is the, the amount of APR you would get from BNT liquidity mining rewards. So these are incentives that the protocol uh, dumps on the pool. And you can see there's two different numbers. Mm -hmm. If you're providing just BNT to the engine pool, then you could earn 
uh, 39.05 APR. And if you're providing just engine to the pool, then you could get 5.81%. Now to get the total potential APR, you would then, let's say I'm providing engine, I would add up 5.81 uh, to uh, 8.16 and get roughly 14% APR uh, earned in engine uh, and, and BNT. So, um, you know, and unlike other APRs that you might see in AMMs, this is fully protected from IL, uh, whether you're providing single-sided engine or single-sided BNT to that pool. And then you can see there, the, the, the left side of the screen shows the pools, that little shield indicates that that pool is whitelisted and is protected from impermanent loss and also enables uh, single-sided liquidity. Does all that make sense? Yes, sir. And I want to actually uh, go go back to Mr. Mark really quickly. Um, this is, as we know now, this uh, this this summer is being termed a layer two summer. Uh, this is the time for Ethereum to scale. A question for for Mr. Mark is: Bancor being built currently? I'm not sure on an L2, and if it is not, do they? Do you guys have plans on doing so? So we're in the middle of designing and uh, coding and auditing our, our V3. And V3 is uh, specifically designed to be portable. So at the moment, version 2.1, it's kind of a, a heavy, clunky collection of contracts. And it makes, it, uh, it makes the overheads for, for moving to other chains, including uh, layer two scaling solutions, uh, quite high. Um, and so, uh, at the moment, it's not being built on uh, any layer two solutions sort of actively. However, the V3 implementation is designed so that we can move it to wherever we want very quickly and efficiently. So we've had our eye on um, specifically uh, Polygon and Arbitrum for, for quite a while. And I think that um, as soon as the V3 release is out and we have that, you know, that easily transportable version of, of the Bancor protocol, um, I would stipulate that we would appear on um, the most established layer two scaling solutions very quickly. At the moment, um, the, the most likely candidate is Polygon. Um, but, you know, the, the Bancor community, um, which is composed, you know, largely of also Chainlink enthusiasts, are extremely excited about Arbitrum, and so are we. And um, you know, but that you know, when we're not loyal to any chain, you know, Bancor has um, you know has cross-chain implementation sort of built into its DNA. Um, we were one of the first uh, cross-chain protocols ever. Uh, the Bancor protocol, I think, it was ported to EOS back in the day. Um, back when EOS was still, you know, going to be the, you know, the, the Ethereum killer and, and that sort of thing. So really the, the project is so old that we've already seen, um, you know, potential faster chains um, sort of come and go. And so we're kind of more seasoned now with, with how we approach it. Um, I think that, you know, we've been, we are extremely cautious about what chains we want to commit to. We're aware that you know any new technology has um, has issues um, after it first deploys, and it's kind of good to give some of these new chains um, some breathing room to sort of sort out their issues before you bring your you know billion dollar protocol there. Um, and we think that Polygon really is starting to to look like a pretty attractive candidate. So 
uh, I, you know, I will reiterate that I, I, I'm, I would be surprised if Polygon isn't one of the first layer two scaling solutions that we appear on. Um, but yeah, Arbitrum is still very, very much on our radar. Uh, we talk to, or we, you know, we're, we're in contact with the Arbitrum team and, um, you know, it, it's, it's been a part of our, um, you know, our messaging that, that Arbitrum is, is a priority. And I, I would be surprised if, um, Arbitrum isn't ready for us by, by the time that we're ready for them. So I, I want to really quickly, a uh, couple questions. When do you anticipate, and I know that you might not have an answer on this, the V3 release date for Bank? So we're, we're, not open, <laughs> we're not openly discussing the, um, the release dates yet. What we've said is that um, we will give the community uh, about a 30 days heads up um, when we're ready to announce it. So the, you know, uh, rather than, you know, deal with these, um, vague, unhelpful sort of timelines. You know, software development is, is hard. It's, it's, it has frequent delays. There are other bottlenecks now, such as, um, you know, the auditors being uh, completely overwhelmed um, with the, the large number of new contracts coming through and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't say specifically when it's, it's going to be released, um, other than I think that it, it's, it's sooner than many people are expecting. That's something I'm going to be very excited for. That's for sure. Um, Mr. Nate, I have a question uh, just to piggyback off what Mr. Mark said, because I very much agree with that notion that one day I do believe we're going to live in a multi-chain society, whether that's a plethora of L Ethereum L2s. I even believe Solana could make some noise. Um, you know, so I do believe in these things. I believe each different chain will have its certain use case. Do you anticipate Bancor to, uh, as Mr. Mark just said, you, you're not, you're very, you're chain agnostic. Do you anticipate Bancor to, let's say, implement their use, their uses on Solana or, or work with other chains outside of the Ethereum ecosystem? Yeah, definitely. There's, there's no question that we see a lot of promise and, and different use cases for different chains. Um, so that's really a lot of the work we're doing right now to simplify the protocol, make it as portable as possible so that we can deploy it and, and more importantly, maintain it uh, in a scalable way. So and, there's, there's no question. Yeah. And uh, one more question before. Um, I wanted to know what attract you, attracts Bancor uh, about Polygon? Because a lot of protocols are very uh, interested in Polygon now. Um, what attracts Bancor about Polygon? And what about Optimism? Are you guys at all looking at Optimism as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want right. to answer this one? Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I, sure. So, I, so we're, you know, we, we've been in contact with the, the Polygon team for, for a long time. Um, I'd say one of the things that attracts us to Polygon is that, um, you know, it's already got a mainnet that's been up and running um, and out in the wild with, you know, lots of projects running on it, lots of users, the traction looks good, the performance is good. Um, and so in a, in a sense, it's already proven that it can kind of uh, handle, um, you know, the, the demands of, of, of the cryptocurrency community. And, and that means a lot. Um, whereas Optimism, you know, just recently uh, launched with, I think, a single miner, um, and that miner is owned by the Optimism team. And for a layer two scaling solution, uh, you know, this is, I, I, I'm, I don't want to bash Optimism. I think Optimism is going to be a great product, but um, I think that it's going to be a little while before we see Optimism reach its full potential. Um, when I saw uh, some of the transaction details coming out from that, um, from that first test, 
um, the, you know, the, the gas prices on optimism were roughly a hundred times higher than, um, than Polygon. Wow. And so that, that, yeah. And so that makes it, you know, much less appealing, I think, um, from, uh, for our community. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, optimism still is still on the cards, you know, it's, uh, it's just not as mature, I think, as, as Polygon is. Um, but yeah, we'll consider it like we will consider any chain. If it gets users and um, you know establish itself as a as a stable ecosystem, of, of course we'll go there. Um, it, it's not really a matter of um, you know we we won't do anything um, the before it makes sense to do it. If that makes if um, if that's a a fair way to 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 say it. Very strategic that, and calculated in a way. Exactly. Yeah. So, Mr. Nate, uh, I don't want to take up both of your times that much, but I wanted to from I really enjoyed this episode because I actually think you guys gave my uh, users of an in-depth like look into Bancor and how to use it very simply um, on their page. I wanted to ask you, as I said, uh, through our Telegram message, what are your goals personally for Bancor for, let's say, a year from now? Where do you think this protocol will go and what are your own personal goals for the protocol? Yeah, so. I think we've really carved out a niche for ourselves uh, within the sort of um, individuals that are seeking passive crypto income. Um, a lot of protocols in our space have started to veer towards um, serving uh, more sophisticated users. So that in order to kind of uh, effectively use the system, you constantly have to keep an eye on it. There's uh, complexity in terms of math and sort of maintenance. If you go to sleep one night, wake up one morning, your, your liquidity stake could be worth a lot less. And so Bancor is really focused on, like I said, just a passive income experience with very low risk. So making sure that it's simple as possible and also safe that you know, there's, there's no way that you're going to wake up one morning and see that your stake has just been wrecked by impermanent loss. So in, in V3, the experience is just going to get easier and more frictionless. Uh, I know you said your parents can do it. Well, maybe now your grandparents will be able to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and also it's going to be, um, we think, uh, significantly more profitable too. Um, we're going to open the door to some new functionality that we've never seen uh, applied to uh, automated market makers that will allow uh, liquidity providers and users to generate even higher yields. Um, and the you know, passive experience of stake and forget is not going to be sacrificed in order to generate those higher fees. That's what I was, I was wondering. Is the security going to stay the same when these new functionalities are added? Yeah, we've seen a, a lot of protocols kind of sacrifice the, you know, you can get a, generate higher yield, but there's higher risk too if your liquidity or if the prices change in a certain way. And that's not going to be the case in, in Bancor. Wow. We really think there should be you know, really no math, no maintenance, and no middlemen either. You shouldn't have to use a third-party tool to live on top of your liquidity protocol in order to get that passive yield. So I'm really, really excited uh, about V3. We haven't shared many details about it, 
but those details will be coming soon. And I think it's really going to take the DeFi, crypto, and even broader investing space by, by storm. And I really love that. That's something I'm, I'm very excited for. Mr. Mark, I'm going to end this interview with you. If from your own personal perspective, what are your goals for Bangor for a year from now, if I were to have a conversation with you? Yeah, so I think what I want Bangor to be held up as uh, is an example of, you know, of the, the dream of, of DeFi, but executed the way that the, the Ethereum community originally envisioned it, right? So something that has mass participation, like Nate said, no, no middlemen uh, required in order to do it. Just anyone with a, you know, uh, uh, an Ethereum wallet and a couple of bucks, if they want to participate in DeFi, that they can, and that they should be able to make money doing that without having to, um, to worry about any adverse consequences. But more than that, I want Bancor to be held up as like, this is how you build something robust, right? This is something that is anti-fragile. This is something that can adapt. This thing is, is flexible. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is likely to, um, to stand the test of time due to its resilience. You know, I, I think that, you know, if in a, a year from now, if people are saying, you know, what Bancor did with version three was, was a, a critical sort of turning, turning point in the DeFi ecosystem that really sort of made people realize what, you know, um, what was the most important thing, right? What was, the, what was the thing that people cared about the most and how do you look after community members rather than exploiting them um, and, and start to sort of comment on that that was central to, uh, to Bancor's success, then I will be, you know, I will feel like I've, I've um, that my expectations were met. <laughs> you know, I know that those are huge goals, but that is really what we're striving for, right? We want to be the good guys. We want to be the uh, the project that people look at and 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 think, you know, that was uh, that was something that was fundamentally good for the world, and you know, we're you know, we're, we're glad that it exists. Uh, for me, uh, it's how I'm sorry to ask one more. You keep, you referred to this at the beginning of the interview. You said that Bancor is battle tested, and I want to kind of just tie this all together. How long, how hard is it for a DeFi protocol to do what Bancor did? How hard is it for them to go through all those years and reach this point and now have, you know, uh, you guys say that this is what we have. We want to make it the primary DeFi product in the world. It's really hard. Um, you know, we see you only have to look at the, um, the huge number of, of hacks that have happened first on, on Ethereum. And now we can see the trend kind of moving towards BSC. But basically, there are projects and communities that, that kind of come into this that I think are, are a little bit naive about the, um, you know, let, let's say that the strength of the adversaries that mean to uh, exploit these protocols and steal money from users. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of these projects that got hacked, they had only the best intentions. I, I honestly believe that, right? I think a lot of people like to... Uh, blame the, the the dev team or or something or, or say that it was a setup. I think that that is very rare. I think more often than not, people just underestimate how clever and committed 
some of these um, some of these hackers are that make a living out of you know taking advantage of of, of naive um, naive development teams. And unfortunately, there are no you know because DeFi is so new, there are no textbooks written on how to do this properly. There are no you know you, you don't go to university to study DeFi security. Um, there are very few firms in the world that even, you know, offer um, that, that level of expertise. You learn on YouTube. Um, you learn on YouTube, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's worth noting that, um, that, you know, a lot of the project, like, it, it's not even good enough anymore to say that your project is audited. Um, I think, you know, at least in recent memory, um, every single project that was, that was exploded um, had, uh, had passed most of the, the audits and sanity checks. Not all of them. There are some, obviously, there are always exceptions to that. Um, but it's just no longer true that even the, if you've got a reputable auditor behind you, that there isn't going to be someone else um, that's going to figure out a, a way to take advantage of you. And that type of, this is what I mean when I say battle-tested. Um, when you've got a team that's been active in the DeFi space, building protocols on Ethereum since the beginning, that level of experience it, it, it means that you kind of have this intuition for what's going to make a, um, an airtight secure contract and what might be exploitable, right? It, it, it means that, um, you know, when you're setting something up in a certain way, you, are, you, know, you can draw on all of the, the exploits that you've read about, you know, all of the attempts that have been made on your own protocol and learn from those experiences and, and use that to, to build a, um, a better system. And so that's what I mean when I say battle-tested, right? The, 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 the developers that we have working for us, um, you know, our CTO, um, been, have been in the thick of it from the beginning. And so there, there really isn't um, a, a, an Ethereum development team out there that's got more experience, I think, than the Bancor team. And so that's that's what I mean when I say you know security and um, and and battle testedness is is a part of our product. And that's what one thing that you know I, I love to hear, just because you see all these as as you just mentioned um, attacks on especially liquidity pools. So that's something that's right. not very reassuring to hear. Um, thank you both. I don't want to take up that much more of your time, but thank you both for doing this with me. I know it must have not have been the easiest thing. I'm very excited just because. Since you two invested this time in this, my parents will probably, this will probably be the first episode they ever watch of my podcast. So thank you guys both. I'm actually excited to show them this. Um, I appreciate you guys. And this episode will be out on Wednesday. I apologize if I, I tag you guys three days in a row on Twitter. I have a three-day marketing scheme that I have to stick to. So I, I'm generally sorry no, if course. I apologize for the notifications. No, no, no I mean, We'll be happy to retweet it. Um, thank you so much for, for reaching out, Sino. It's been a, an absolute pleasure to, to meet you and, and speak with you on your podcast. Uh, if, if you ever want to follow up with us, by the way, maybe after B3 is out or something, um, please feel free. Um, I will. Nate and I are, uh, are always happy to, to, to talk to content creators. Uh, just and put that Sina, down. I for sure will. I, yes, sir. Before we let, before, uh, we let you go, I, I actually I didn't get a chance to hear... Um, like how how much have you used DeFi in the past, and how did you kind of stumble upon uh, Bancor? I wonder like why it uh, 
caught your interest? So I, I was uh, I, I was uh, a straight marketer uh, up until I just graduated college, um, UNLV here in 2020. And I got into crypto. I started investing in Bitcoin. Uh, unfortunately, that's how everybody gets into it. I feel like uh, they used to. They used to. Yeah. Uh, but I, I coming into probably a, it was Ethereum and Bitcoin. And then as, as the time went on, as I started at the end of 2020, I was just very I was really looking for direction. And I got into crypto and I decided to pivot my entire brand for crypto and NFTs. And now I started using BlockFi uh, in 2020. And someone, one of my, my crypto sensei criticized me big time and said, you cannot be if you want to really have a career, you want to explore this uh, foundation, this industry. You can't use BlockFi. So that's when I, he, I that's just what he said. You have to use uh, DeFi. You can't use centralized exchanges, centralized banks in a way, uh, crypto banks. So I started using DeFi and um, I, I, let's just say I went through the ups and downs. And then I saw Chainlink God started uh, really talking about Bancor and Curve. And he did this about in January and kept doing it all year. And so I looked into both of them. Um, and I, I was looking for DeFi protocols to really settle down with. And I just found Bancor to be easy from a UX perspective, like the, the understandability when I'm viewing it on a screen, um, as well as the security was just, it, it doesn't make sense for me to use another product at this point. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear, man. Well, we're excited to have you in the community. Um, if you ever, you know, uh, want to hop into our Telegram channels and, uh, also, our governance, if you ever have any ideas on ways to improve the protocol, uh, our governance channel is pretty active. We have on our Discord? Team. On Discord? Um, so we, we have a Discord channel, but it's uh, gov.bancor.network is um, where you can see kind of the latest proposals. And also you can vote on, uh, on Snapshot if you want to see, let's say, something happen in the protocol or liquidity mining rewards get, get dropped on a pool. Uh, if you want to see a, a token that another token you're holding, if they don't have a whitelisted pool on Bancor, you can propose them to get whitelisted. Um, oh, you wow. can like help us. What about stand. NFTs? What about NFTs? Because I'm an NFT guy. What, what about oh, those? Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, I mean NFTs are super interesting. We, you know, are, are following it and kind of seeing where the overlap might be for sort of DeFi and NFTs and whether there's kind of a play for, you know, fractionalized shares and also getting yield on, on NFTs. So it's something we're keeping an eye on. I don't think it's like really mature to the yeah. point where, um, where it's part of our core product offering, but it's, we certainly have our, our eye and on, on that. And if you have any ideas of ways that we can, uh, better utilize them, uh, you know, we'd love to hear that. Uh, so, so definitely keep us posted uh, on that. And uh, one thing I will say, one thing I will say about you guys is I, you're the entire mindset of the protocol. You guys are very, very calculated. Like you're open-minded in the sense of you recognize what's going on, the trends and you're attacking them, but you don't just rush in like every other protocol blindly. Like I've noticed that about throughout this interview, like you, you don't, you don't, uh, you acknowledge the trends and you're interested in them, but you create, you take the time and create like uh, strategic entrances to make sure you gain the most you can out of them. Well, it took a few years of going in a number of different directions. I mean, at one point we were building community currencies in impoverished villages in Kenya. Oh, wow. So, uh, or building a, a YouTube for money and creators. So we've certainly gone in several different directions. And I think just in the past year or two, uh, we nailed on a, a, a like a really strong product market uh, 
fit. And now we're just kind of laser focused on that. And our, our V3, we, we do think we've stumbled upon something pretty incredible and are now just really tunnel vision on, on what we need to do to, to execute. So, uh, so it, it took, took a lot of wandering to, uh, to really nail down, you know, the customer we were serving and, and the, and the product we were building. 